Good morning. It's Tuesday, May 4th. I'm Duarte Geraldino. And I'm Shemitah Basu. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. Florida's moving forward with a new law that could make it harder to vote. Last week, Florida's legislature passed a bill that would put constraints on ballot drop boxes and voting by mail. Voting rights groups say measures in this bill could discourage people from giving food and water to voters waiting in line. Moves like this are popping up in other parts of the country, too. A controversial polling law was approved in Georgia, and Democrats are trying to push back at the federal level. But because Congress is so narrowly divided, it's not clear if the party is going to be able to get its agenda through. Yeah, congressional Democrats are promising to expand voting rights through national legislation that they call the For the People Act. It would create federally mandated voting rules, require states to allow in-person early voting and voting by mail without a specific excuse. The House already passed its version, but Politico is stressing Democrats in the Senate aren't sure that they can get it through. And mind you, this bill doesn't have any Republican support in the Senate. Democratic Senator Joe Manchin also has not signed on. And Politico is reporting at least six Democrats are expressing some reservations. Plus, without 10 Republicans, this legislation can't pass under current filibuster rules that require 60 votes. But Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says failure is not an option. He wants the bill on the floor by August. Meanwhile, more Republican-controlled states are following Georgia and now Florida's lead, setting up a big clash over voting rights. President Biden is raising the level of refugees who can enter America annually. The new cap will be 62,500 people. That's about four times the historically low ceiling the Trump administration set. Bloomberg News explains how this move is partly to satisfy Biden's own party. A couple weeks ago, the administration said it would initially stick to the Trump refugee levels. That set off a wave of criticism from Democrats who accused Biden of breaking a campaign pledge to reverse Trump immigration policy. Landlords are so often cast as villains for trying to evict people when they can't make rent. Many landlords are not faceless corporations. Some are regular people, sometimes older, sometimes immigrants, who manage to buy a small, modest property and rely on rent payments to feed their own families. The pandemic housing crisis is putting them in a difficult spot right now. Many are trapped between tenants who can't pay rent and their own bills for mortgages and property taxes. Eli Saslow is out with a new piece in The Washington Post that looks at how small landlords are struggling right now. An estimated one-third of them are close to bankruptcy or foreclosure. Saslow focuses on one landlord named Romeo Bujo. This guy owns several rental properties in Schenectady, which is a Rust Belt city about three hours north of New York City. For 13 months in a row, Bujo has collected less than half the total rent he's owed. One tenant owes him more than $7,000. There's one house in particular that seems to capture what Bujo is really struggling with. It was the first property he purchased after immigrating to the U.S. from Guyana. He saved up his money from working at a warehouse for $8 an hour, bought the house, fixed it up, and rented it out. 
This property helped him build up his income and enter the middle class. All of that is in jeopardy now. His current tenant hasn't paid rent in a full year. Bujo is trying to keep his head above water. He's maxed out his credit cards, applied for a second car loan, and defaulted on his property taxes. He's now mowing people's lawns to make extra money. And all of it is stressful. He's taking medication for panic attacks and stomach ulcers. Saslow also spoke with the man who is living at Bujo's property, Alfonso Hill. And there's no doubt that he's struggling, too. Hill lost multiple jobs during the pandemic. He and his girlfriend broke up. He now lives there with his 13-year-old daughter. Now, Bujo has stopped making basic repairs around that house. The furnace doesn't work. It got so cold inside, the city declared the house unlivable. Hill says he would rather not be living there. It's just that he doesn't have good options. Meanwhile, Schenectady recently raised property taxes for the first time in five years. It's trying to solve its own budget crisis. And that's yet another squeeze on Bujo. This story, it highlights how much stress the pandemic is putting on housing in America, whether you rent or own. This month, public school students in Tulsa, Oklahoma, will be learning a chapter of history that's never been taught to students their age before, or in many American public schools for that matter. It's about the Tulsa Race Massacre, which happened 100 years ago this month. Public Radio Tulsa spoke to Danielle Nevis, who works for Tulsa Public Schools. The events of the massacre are part of our shared history here in Tulsa, and we believe deeply that all of our students deserve to understand what happened. A new piece in Essence magazine is highlighting details that are often overlooked in the retelling of this painful part of U.S. history. A century ago, Tulsa, Oklahoma was home to a thriving, self-sufficient neighborhood called Greenwood. It was known as Black Wall Street. This community was predominantly black and prosperous, full of countless black-owned businesses and these elegant homes outfitted with pianos and fine china. Then in 1921, a mob of white people looted, rioted, and burned Greenwood to the ground. They used private planes to drop bombs. More than a thousand businesses and homes were leveled. Hundreds of people, even thousands, were wounded, killed, missing. No one knows an exact toll. In recent years, more Americans learned about this little-known chapter. Some people admitted, though, that they didn't know about it until they saw HBO's superhero series Watchmen. This scripted drama showed planes bombing the neighborhood and black Americans being shot. Essence says one fact about this story often winds up being overlooked, and that is that black-owned businesses that were destroyed in the riots in the following years, hundreds of them were rebuilt. One woman, a fourth-generation resident of the neighborhood, tells the magazine that this is the story people need to know, that even though it was destroyed, black folks rebuilt Greenwood to its same glory. Today, the fight for Black Wall Street continues. Community leaders are pushing for reparations and historical preservation. Think about a big slice of New York cheesecake. Thick, rich, heaped with cherries. The Wall Street Journal has a story about the surprising results of what happens when Big Apple Cheesecake meets Japanese precision and craftsmanship. 
Okay, so this story started a few years back in Yokosuka, which is home of the U.S. Navy's biggest foreign base. And one day, the U.S. military thought it would just be a nice idea to share a New York-style cheesecake recipe with the city. It was just supposed to be a, a friendly nod to Japanese cherry blossoms, but it kicked off an obsession. Yeah, this dessert caught on at local restaurants, and Japanese officials decided to hold them accountable Places serving New York cheesecake in Yokosuka had to get a government certificate showing they're making the real stuff. Local inspectors would come by every year with scales, rulers, highly trained pallets, too. They confirmed that it's big enough. The crust had graham crackers and that the topping had American cherries. <laughs> yeah, they got real serious about it. Now, New York cheesecake <laughs> is nothing like traditional Japanese desserts, so earning this designation takes a lot of work. The journal talks to one restaurant owner who spent weeks trying to get it exactly right, and he says that he gained 11 pounds trying his practice cakes, but it was all worth it because he did end up passing the exam. So if you think you have what it takes to make American cheesecake the way the Japanese do... Well, try your hand at this recipe. The full journal article and the 20-step cheesecake recipe are on our show notes page. You can find all these stories and more in the Apple News app. And while you're there, check out some of our audio stories, including the one from Essence on the Tulsa Race Massacre. We'll talk with you again tomorrow.